Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And joining me, our co-host Mel, as well as my beautiful wife, Christy, for part two of this this mini-series that we're doing. Guys, we're excited about it. Great to have you both on the podcast with me. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, if you hear any grunts or any coups going on, it's probably because I'm holding our little newborn right now as we're recording this. Um, And it's so apropos because we're talking about how to support children, how to support Mm. your children as they're walking through, or not, maybe it's not your children, maybe it's just any children in general, but how to support children as they're walking through trial or grief or hardship. And um, Which is really timely, Davey, because right now <laughs> Cohen's hardship or trial is that he's a little gassy, and so you're supporting him <laughs> by rocking him, and it's the sweetest him. thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> While podcasting. This is a first. Christy's getting it right now on Instagram, so we'll put it up <laughs> on Nothing Is Wasted Ministries for sure. Uh, but I thought maybe we could have a conversation about how to support children. Um, Mel, you have any thoughts first while my beautiful wife is recording this? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, just um, being very attentive to the small things that they bring to me, you know, like every little craft or every little picture mm-hmm. or Lego creation that they make. I know that those little things that I am all there for, that I'm not just giving them the side eye or like brushing them off quickly, but like really rejoicing and um, just being overjoyed with what they've done. Um, I want them to know, like, I care about everything in your life, whether it's the little things that you've made or the big things that you're feeling or, you know, the things that you're scared to tell mommy, like, I want to know it all. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of I mean, you sound like super mom over there because I feel like I've been convicted recently of just literally not. I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, you guys, hold on. Like, hold on. And there's so many times where they're so excited and then I can see their little eyes like get kind of sad of like mm. mommy's not spending time with me or she's not listening to the excited thing I'm excited about. And and honestly, I've been feeling so convicted because even at night, uh, just putting them to bed, I can't wait to get them in bed some nights where I just feel like freedom. Like I have my own time when they're asleep. And then now I have Cohen that I have to worry about trying to get him to sleep. And someone once said like, hey, like at night and when they're tired is when they're going to talk the most. And so that's when you need to ask them the most questions to them because they will answer all your little questions. And so honestly, I feel like right now, Mel, I'm in the season of trying to do exactly what you're doing. Like, hey, being excited about every little win, every little craft. And I've seen the same coloring book pages every single time. Like, that's another one. And then they give it to me and then I throw it away. I'm like, hopefully they don't realize that this is in the trash. I love it, but it goes in the trash. But at the same time, Christy, you need to give yourself so much grace because you were in the newborn blur and you were Uh, sleep deprived. And so there's like, when I don't have sleep, I am a different person. I'm a little crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely have been on that crazy train for a while now. <laughs> well, and you know, we've we've heard from even like um, in situations where it's not your own children, but maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're, you know, a, a child care worker or maybe you're a volunteer at the church and you're working with children. And it's really important for you also to pick up on cues on if this, this child's walking through something difficult, maybe so you can minister to their family, maybe so that you could... Uh, in extreme circumstances, help the child get out of a circumstance that they don't need to be in. Maybe it's an abusive situation. Christy, you've got a story about that when you were a teacher uh, in Mexico that you kind of were learning how to to pick up on some of those cues. 
Well, I just remember when my own sister, when she was going through some stuff at home, uh, she was making good grades. She was behaving in class. And all of a sudden in fifth grade, it took a turn for the worse. And her teacher called my mom and was just basically saying that like Heidi doesn't listen. She's very aggressive in class. She doesn't turn in any of her homework and she's getting like basically F's on everything now. And so that was a huge like warning sign and a red flag. But my mom, she, that's one of her biggest regrets was not doing something about it then. And so I remember just listening to that, those words of advice. And um, so as a teacher, one of my students, it was like they did the same thing. She was just the cutest little girl coming in with like little ringlets in her hair, bouncing up and down, always just so happy and giggling. And then all of a sudden coming back from Christmas break, she was going, uh, all of a sudden she just didn't have any emotion in her eyes anymore. And she was mm -hmm. very sad. And so I decided to call her mom and just have a parent teacher meeting and just ask her like, Hey, is there anything going on at home that I need to be aware of just because she just was a different girl? And the mom said, yeah, actually we're going through a lot. Uh, there's been an affair. Um, my husband's leaving me. And so literally like that girl's world had changed. And if I would have just let it slide, there could have been a lot at stake. And so I just spent a lot of time with her and as much time as I could. And even now today, it's 10 years later, I still will message her about that time and just how she is now. And she thanks me all the time for that. But if as a teacher and it's just even just anybody, if you're working in the nursery or in your Sunday school, wherever you're at, um, I feel like if you can see those little cues and those little red flags and just talk to the parents and let them know what's going on, I think that can really help. Yeah. I think, I mean, the whole gist of this is, and this what's really hard as an adult sometimes is to truly attune to these kids because, you know, misbehavior, acting out, um, even sometimes hyperactivity sometimes can be an indication of something else that's going on. Yeah, and, sure. um, you know, I, I know we recognize that with our kids when there's something that maybe they're they're It's outside the norm for them. It's like, wait, that was an odd behavior right there. Mm -hmm. What was that? Mm -hmm. It's important for us to get down on their level and go, hey, can you explain what you meant by that? You know, our kids are very verbal. <laughs> they're at the age where they'll they'll say things sometimes to get a rise out of us. And, you know, just the other night I had to, with one of our kids, just go, hey, what do you mean by that? Like, what's, what exactly are you talking about? You know, and, and allowing them the space to be able to communicate that to me so I could get underneath what really was going on with their behavior. That's tough to do. It means you got to create some space. It means you got to create some emotional energy and fortitude when you don't have it oftentimes, especially at the end of the day. But it is important um, in order to help this child to feel like, hey, mom and dad are safe. And, um, and they're going to be there for the big things that happen in my life, as you said, Mel. So, you know, they're, they're here for the small things. I know they'll be here for the big things as well. And one of the things that we always tell our kids is it is okay to have feelings and it is okay to have different emotions, yeah. but it's what we do with those feelings and those emotions. So it's okay to cry, but you can't throw something if you're mad, you know, mm -hmm. it's okay to be upset, but you can't hit your brother. I mean, there's just certain yeah. things that we talked to them about those. Yeah. So really what you're saying is, I mean, it's similar to what Jesus said in your anger, do not sin right? Mm -hmm. We're like yep. teaching our kids, it's okay to feel these things, but it's not okay to retaliate in a sinful manner. And so really, I mean, when it comes to kids and parenting, we're trying to teach them how to be adults. Mm -hmm. We're trying to raise them into, you know, and having the, the bigger picture in mind, the, the long the long game in mind. Because they, they really don't know how to communicate what's going on with them. I think right. that's the biggest thing, especially when we Especially got, this newborn. I know. <laughs> She's having some issues right now. <laughs> what do you want? What do you need, Cohen? <laughs> but I remember when we got married, when we moved in, Natalia even had some issues there and she couldn't explain what she was thinking and feeling. But the only thing that she could say was, mommy, I miss our old apartment. 
And so that's just crazy to think about. She has her own room now. She has a brother. She has like a fun place to live. And here she is saying she misses a two-bedroom small dinky apartment. Right. And the, the the bigger picture was she missed the individual time that she got with me. Yeah. She missed the fact that now she has to share her mom with a brother and a dad. And she didn't know how to uh, explain that. So I think in the same way, when your kids are saying something, a lot of times you need to read between the lines of what they're yeah. actually saying. But also sometimes kids can just be little turds and they just say all kinds of crazy things and there's nothing really behind what they're saying. And so um, I think a big thing for us was just realizing that there was more to our kids of what they were trying to say to us during that time. And it can be easy to be irritated and just be flippant and go, you should be grateful for this, what we have not right now, rather than going, wait, what is, what is this person? What is, what's she really asking? What's she really saying right here? And you had the wherewithal to go, there's something underneath this. I need to ask some more questions and find mm-hmm. out. That's really good. Well, um, as always, we want to introduce our interview for today. But before we do that, um, I want to read a review. We are we love it when you guys write reviews for us. Um, it encourages us, and we'd just love to hear what you are thinking about um, this podcast. And so this um, review says, Literally every episode is full of hope and encouragement in some manner. I've cried both happy tears and sad tears by listening, but always, always come away challenged and refreshed. Love it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Hmm. Um, And as you're listening to this um, episode today, which it's a doozy. It is so good. Deborah Murky. Um, She's my hero. Feel free to screenshot this and um, tag Nothing is Wasted Ministries and let us know that you're listening to it. Um, this episode, honestly, like it might be one of my favorite. It's up there, like top three yeah. favorites. I I busted into tears um, before the two minute mark, and it <laughs> just captivated my attention the rest of the time. And so um, Deborah has a fascinating story um, where she had um, over a hundred children in her home. Um, that were in foster care and um, just a, a shocking and hard um, trial that she had to walk through. Yeah. Um, and so we, I don't want to give too much away, but um, I just can't wait for you to hear this story. So I wonder, here is I wonder De- if Deborah would have any advice on gassy newborns with as many children as she had. <laughs> she probably does. I, <laughs> I would imagine that she does. So here is Deborah. Deborah, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's very exciting to be here with you. Well, you have an absolutely fascinating story. I mean, when this came across my desk, I was like, we have to interview her. One, because there's so many different elements of it that feels so familiar in in our story. And so just from a personal standpoint, I was excited to be able to have a conversation with you and ask you about how you've walked through all of this but also because there's so many different facets of your story that, man, there's there's a lot of pain and a lot of tragedy and a lot of hardship, and yet there is this this light of hope in it mm-hmm. and this redemption. It's yes. so beautiful. And uh, you've written about it in a book called Murder, Motherhood, and Miraculous Grace. Yeah. It released October 8th, and so I'm really excited about diving into this. But before we kind of take a, a step back and look at your story over the several year process that your story unfolded. Can you tell me a little bit about you and your family and um, what your life is like right now currently? Oh, well, right now, currently, that's, it's pretty challenging. Um, 
I, uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my family. I'm, I am married. I have six children, adult children, wow. seven grandchildren, and a uh, wonderful daughter-in-law, two great sons-in-law, um, just an uh, amazing family. So they're all wonderful people. Mm. And uh, I was born and raised on the beaches of California. Oh, man. But my heart was always in the Rockies. And so we transferred to Wyoming, and that's where we've been for many, many years mm. now. And it's where the story unfolds. Um, right now, we have a, a challenging situation going on. I'm actually at my uh, daughter's uh, the next few days visiting um, one of our youngest granddaughters. She's five years old. Mm. She is uh, losing her battle with cancer. Oh, my and gosh. So um, family has gathered over the next few days, and um, she, the Lord just made bring her home in the next few days. So wow. we are we are challenged right now, and yet we are hopeful in the Lord because He is always good all wow. the time. So that's where that's where we're at right now. Man, Deborah, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And mm-hmm. um, you know, one, I'm I'm just uh, I'm heartbroken over that we with are. you guys. We are as well. And yet, you know, God has been very gracious and very mm-hmm. good to our family, and He He's always been faithful. He will be faithful through this. And we know that. Wow. Do you, uh, you care to talk a little bit about that before we even dive into the book sure. and your story? Sure. Um, um, tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, how, how your family has, has processed through that and has been dealing with that. Sure. Uh, well, we go back a little bit because, uh, my daughter who is her mommy, mm-hmm. um, was diagnosed with leukemia at three years old, relapsed wow. at six, went through a bone marrow transplant made it through that. We almost lost her two or three times. And then at 15 years old was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. And she has one of her legs actually amputated um, from some of the results of that. So she, we have been through cancer a number of times with a daughter. Um, Because, uh, you know, of being challenged for her to be able to get pregnant and carry, uh, she and her husband tried for many years. They have this little baby girl they adopted five years ago, and incredibly enough, though she was adopted, was diagnosed with the same cancer at 14 months. Wow. So we all said, okay, this is definitely a God thing. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, how, you know, how, how could this happen? And um, so she was uh, going through treatment, doing well until uh, March, where she relapsed, and the ALL leukemia morphed into AML leukemia, mm. and uh, that just gave her not very much hope. So they've had some trial experimental drugs, but they have not worked. And so mm. we've all had to resign ourselves to the fact that um, we've had five wonderful years with this child. Wow. And that's where we're at. Wow. So we're very familiar with cancer, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, so many people who are listening to this who cancer has ransacked their lives or lives of loved yes. ones as well. And, um, you just said something that really uh, made my ears perk because I know what you mean. You know, I know what you mean when you say this has to be a God thing. Mm-hmm. I think when you, you know, are, you're kind of operating as kingdom people, you learn to recognize those certain details that draw you yes. into, wait a minute, God's up to something here. Can you right. kind of explain, because there's some people who would go, wait a minute, how is that a God thing? Like, how is yes. any of this a God thing? Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, I think maybe the best way to explain to you is, is what I've explained to my daughter, though mm-hmm. she is a Christian, and she and her husband are Christians, and they, they love the Lord. Of course, as a parent, you're saying, why? You know, mm-hmm. uh, why would this happen, and why would a loving God allow this? And 
So I've had to minister to my own daughter and explain, you know, we are born into a sinful world, a world of sickness and disease and sin. And um, God said to us throughout his word, he will be there with us through that. Mm. But he is the only hope out of it as well. And so I believe that it's not that I don't believe he brought cancer on my my Mm. granddaughter. But he said, I will walk this with you, and I have a promise for her and the rest of you beyond. So I believe he allows these things, and that if we let him, he has great things to teach us. Mm. And some of those things, um, even though when we say this has to be a God thing, I, I felt that it was something that one of those things, another way to word that is, we need to pay attention, mm. not only to cancer and not only to chemo and treatment, but what is it God's teaching us? How is he going to use us? Yeah. And he, you know, he, he calls massive people to pray, pray over these situations. Um, he's brought people to their knees that um, would never have done that before, but for a little child, they, wow. they do. And so God's all over this and he's in it. And not only for my, my little granddaughter, who he's going to graciously bring her into his arms through this, mm. but he has something for all of us to learn if we allow him to do so. Wow. Well, I, again, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and talk to our listeners, um, even in the midst of what you're going through right now. And um, before we sign off, I want to make sure we spend some time and pray over you and pray over your family. Thank you. Um, you. And so uh, you guys, I'm looking at my team right now. You guys don't let me you know, sign off before we do that, because I think that the listeners, there's a chorus of listeners that also want to pray for your family as well as we do this. But I'm, I'm looking at you right now and um, our listeners are listening to you and I'm hearing so much resolve and hope and steadfastness in your voice. And that doesn't come about just by default. It comes through mm-hmm. um, many years of, of several different things that you've gone through. And this sure. is, this is one of those things or several of those things is why you've written this book. Will you will you take me back to the very beginning of the story and just kind of unfold the story for me mm-hmm. because it's sure. a it's a powerful one. I mean, it's one of those again when you hear, "Wow, God's all over this. He's all over mm-hmm. this story." So he he is all over this story. Uh, well, the, the story goes back, you know, over twenty years, and um, my husband and I decided to be foster parents. Mm-hmm. We had two of our oldest children at the time, and I was about two weeks away from having our third. And we saw an advertisement on TV that in our community, there was a real need for foster parenting. And we, we didn't really have much, um, much money or, or, you know, we were, lived pretty modestly, but we felt we had a lot of love to be able to give children in need. Mm. Uh, the thing that's interesting at that time is my husband and I were not Christians then. And uh, so we, we started taking children in and we did not become Christians until two years after we became foster parents. Mm. And so our, our, my thinking, at least, with these children were, um, I was pretty down on their parents. You know, I, I felt that uh, we were going to be these children's saviors in the world. Mm-hmm. We're going to save them from these neglectful and abusive parents. And uh, they probably didn't deserve to have these children. Mm-hmm. Until uh, I received the word after about two years and my husband around the same time and started really getting in the word and starting to realize and looking at my own children that I have a responsibility. One of the the commandments that we do have is to honor our parents. Mm. But I thought, well, surely not these children. They don't need to honor their parents (laughs) because they've been abused and neglected. And then I realized, no, 
God didn't give a separate condition for them. They could still learn to honor their parents in their heart and spiritually, Mm. um, but they did not have to move back into a home where they're going to be abused and neglected. So uh, when I, when I accepted the Lord, uh, not knowing it then, uh, but I remember when I accepted the Lord, I came home, I heard a message. I went flat on my face on my floor in my bedroom and said, my life is yours. You know, first of all, I've messed it up enough my own and my life is yours now, Lord, whatever you want. As soon as I came up off the floor and I sat on the edge of my bed, I thought I had this great idea for the next year. I was going to commit to forgive Mm. and ask for forgiveness whenever given the opportunity. And when I look back, I thought those weren't my words. I never saw that as an opportunity, but God did. Mm. And so I made this commitment for about a year. Uh, drove my children crazy because they said, I know what you're doing Mm -hmm. here, mom, you know, but I realized over the years that I was given my assignment is what I was being given Mm -hmm. at that time. And God said, I am calling you to a ministry of forgiveness and redemption. Mm -hmm. As a new Christian, I'm thinking, okay, great. This sounds great. I I have a job, you know, I have a a ministry. This is awesome. I had no idea. Mm God was going to bring into my life or test me in that calling. And um, so as time went on, we took in different children from newborn to teenagers. Over many, many years, we had over 140 foster children through our home over about 18 years. I had taught sign language at the time. So we took deaf children in from the deaf school um, so that they could go to school there. And uh, we just we're saturated with children. But the thing was, is that I started praying with all of our, not only our own children, but our foster children at night and encouraged them to pray for their parents. Mm. Um, And instead of me being the savior, directing them to the real savior. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where the ministry started in foster parenting. Wow. I'll push pause right there because 140 plus children that you have fostered over this time period. You certainly have had your probably your fair share of heartbreaks, which one of them we're going to talk about in a second, but sure. other kinds of uh, maybe lesser grave heartbreaks. I mean, that parents deal with all the time, but especially in the foster parenting, we haven't talked a whole lot on this podcast about foster parenting, um, but you definitely, you know, just this idea of, of open-handedly opening up your home, vesting into uh, this child and, you know, because of there's so much that's gone on in their life, abuse or neglect or something like that, you have no idea how they're going to respond to that. You have no idea how they're going to, you know, if their life is going to be for the better because you took them in. Sometimes sure. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of, because of that emotional baggage, a lot of rejection, a lot of uh, anger, a lot of lashing out in various different ways. Um, what was that like for you guys? And how do you, <laughs> maybe there's a foster parent who's listening right now and they're going, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. How did you navigate that? How did you give your heart to these kids and yet at the same time keep it calloused enough, so to speak, to not let them, you know, uh, pull on your emotions so much or Mm -hmm. how did you do that? Well, you know, it's interesting when you say, how how could you be a little callous at times when you have to? I thought that's a very good word (laughs) because the one thing you have to really learn to do is separate yourself emotionally. Mm. You, you know, it's, and, and I had to really pray about that. I'd say, Lord, how do I give all this love to these children and introduce them to you and love them and love them and, and show them affection and um, 
you know, and and yet how do I still show them discipline? How do I show them mm. the right way to live? And and then also when they're totally out of control or they're destroying my home or they're hurting my own children mm. um, and they're acting out, you know, from from their lifestyle, uh, you know, how do I deal with that? How do I cope with that? So uh, that all played a part of also forgiveness mm. in our home. And um, I taught my own children and began to teach our foster children that, you know, if you have harmed one, of the, one another, you need to go to them and you need to state exactly what you did. You can't just say sorry. And uh, you have to say exactly what you did. I'm sorry mm. I threw that at you. I'm sorry <laughs> I hit you. I'm sorry I lied to you. Whatever it was, you have, to, you have to take responsibility for it. Then you need to ask forgiveness. Then you need to stay there and wait to hear their response. Mm. Of course, then you need to train the other one to respond <laughs> correctly, you know. And so... All of this was a process, you know, over 18 years. And this was something, you know, I have a heart for foster parents because we were very naive. We just thought mm. you take children into your home and you love them and they're better and yeah. everything's good. <laughs> and it's not true. Mm. And they can totally disrupt your home. And our home, I think, was very orderly. Mm. Um, I have two sons in the military and one said he, that he was raised by an army sergeant. And that's why he did so well in the military. <laughs> Not that bad. Um, but I just had to be organized. I yeah. had to be organized and structured. And uh, and so there are times, you know, being a foster parent is not easy. Mm. And um, you have to expect that also that you may have to return children to parents or to family members back into situations that you do not mm. feel is good for them. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm sure. Did you see some adverse effects at all from, you know, the foster children that you brought in affecting your own children or did you, and, or did you see some really redemptive transformation happen in them because of this culture that you guys had created in your home? I saw both and absolutely. And the other thing to remember is, you know, I, I have six children now at the time I had five, but, uh, they all have different personalities. They all have different perspectives, mm -hmm. and which I've always been baffled. I, I said I, I walked them all in the same rocking chair. How they could grow up to be so different, <laughs> I don't know. But they are. And so some had very positive uh, reactions and responses to the kids. Um, you know, a couple of them would resent some of the children being mm -hmm. in our home. And we had to make some decisions also what was good for our home and what was not. We started off naively taking older children. And I'd always mm -hmm. recommend to foster parents to not take children older than your own because then they become the influence on your children mm -hmm. where you need your children, the influence on younger children. So I saw both situations. And um, also one of my daughters, one of the girls that was her age, they became very close. Mm -hmm. And the, the she felt betrayed by the girl because then the girl ran away and... And she, mm. she took it personally. Like, why would yeah. you run away? You were like a sister. So there, there are times when there's heartbreak mm. for situations like that. Well, you know, that's a perfect lead into this incredible heartbreak that you guys experienced because there was uh, one particular child that you took in that, yes. that kind of this story then begins to unfold. Would you talk about that? Sure. Well, we, we had moved to a home um, that was out in the country, about 10 acres, big old home, quite a few bedrooms. And that's what our goal was so that we'd have lots of space for kids to run around, big old hill that they could sled down mm. in the winter and have a lot of outdoor activities. And, and it was very exciting, but we uh, wanted to be able to bring in whole families. Mm. And so we didn't have a lot of room in our other home. So we were bringing in families of maybe three and four. And this particular family, there happened to be five children, actually six, but the grandparents were raising the oldest. Mm. 
so we we were looking at five and we received a call we came home from church one day received a call that there was a four-day-old infant in the hospital it was just born and they needed foster care uh, the mother had drugs in her system the infant had drugs in her system mm-hmm. and uh, social services needed to investigate so during that time and we said certainly we were very excited um my, my kids are baby crazy people, you know, and so they said, yay, <laughs> They baby. have to be, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to live in your house. So we went and picked up this baby, and little did we know that there would be four siblings to follow. The mm. caseworker called us and said, when mom went into the hospital to have this baby, she had to sort of farm out the other children's friends and some family. Wow. And can you, can you take them? So over about a week's time, 10 days, we slowly received four more, and so mm. there were five. And um, one of the little children and one of the girls in it was, we just realized after a couple of months, they were in our home and doing visits with the mom and getting to know the mom. Uh, she was the targeted child, mm. you know, of all of them for abuse. And so, of course, the case worker and I would talk about that. And part of my goal was at the time, I was also the director of um, our local uh, Christian Crisis Pregnancy Center. So I had a lot to do with single moms. Mm. And I would try to befriend the single moms of the foster children we have if they would let me, if they didn't see me as one of the bad guys. Yeah. And I'd let them know I'm, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help, you know. So I tried to befriend this mother. We had a, a bit of a relationship, you know, and um, I remember asking her why. You know, I know this one child, you, you know, she does not want to go visit with you. She cries and, and just gets hysterical. I said, what is going on? Mm. And she just said that this this particular child, along with another one, was from a different dad, and that the the dad of the other children were very jealous, and and so he was very abusive to to this child, and so she was wow. as well. Wow. And um, so that's really where a lot of our involvement with this particular child started. Mm-hmm. I want to interrupt this amazing interview for just a few seconds to let you know about our Pain to Purpose video series. You may have heard us talk about it before, but if not, this is a video series we created to help you step-by-step as you navigate a tragedy, trial, or transition in your life. In the videos, I discuss practical ways to work through your pain, no matter the category it falls under, and how to find both meaning and purpose through it. We believe this video series can have a profound impact on you or a loved one. This can be a great resource if you lead a small group for your church or if you're looking for personal direction for your own life or if you have a friend in mind you think could use some help navigating a valley. If you fall into any of these categories and are interested in learning more or purchasing today, head to MyPainToPurposePlan.com. That's MyPainToPurposePlan.com. Now back to our conversation. You know, Deborah, something happened um, in this that uh, was just incredibly tragic. I want you to kind of tell us about what happened, how that happened, uh, because, you know, on the other side of it, there's some really beautiful stuff. But first, there's there's a lot of just horrific things that you guys had to walk through. Sure. Um, Well, at the time, I also was... (laughs) 
um, a, a lay chaplain for a local jail. Oh, wow. And so I uh, would go into the jail and visit and sometimes the parents of some of these children. And First this of particular all, let me just child, pause. How in the world do you have all of this free time to do? <laughs> I'm fascinated by all of these things. I'm taking all these kids in and chaplaincy. And... Sleep is overrated. Sleep is just overrated. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Sometimes I look back and I don't know. But well, Deborah, they, they, what, what I love about it is I'll just kind of camp here for just a second. You are sure. living your life for a purpose and on a purpose. And so, I mean, I'm so thankful for people like you who just mission-minded, serving other people, living outside of yourself. Um, just really cool. Very, I'm just very impressed by, by all of that. So, so thank you for what you've done to invest in people's lives. Well, thank you. And thank the Lord because he, mm. he, he would bring these situations my way, but also they were all intertwined. You know, I didn't mm. realize it so much at the time, but they were. They, um, there was this fine thread through all of the different yeah. things that I was involved in, mm. you know. Um, so, Anyway, this particular child, um, they were work, trying to work all the children back home to mom. Mm-hmm. And mom had a lot of hoops to jump through and some training and all of that. And I sat down with the mom and the caseworker to say, okay, what's the plan? How can I help? How can I support? The mom was welcoming me into her life. And um, suddenly after we set this plan in, in motion for a few weeks, I get a phone call from the caseworker and she said, a judge just ordered all of them home today. And I said, what do you mean you ordered them home today? We haven't even worked the program with the mother. And what about this one particular child? She's scared to death of mommy. She doesn't want to go home. Uh, She came to us at four years old. She was five at that time. Mm. And I said, what do we do? And and the caseworker said, you have to take them home. It's judge ordered. And I don't see me as a person that gets hysterical very easily. I think I'm pretty level-headed and calm. Mm. Uh, but I was getting pretty hysterical about this child. Yeah. I thought, this is not good. I just knew it was not good for her. She was clinging to me physically, sobbing and crying, begging me to not take her. Wow. It was probably one of the ho- most horrible things I had to do. I had to do in my life. And so the, I had to take them all home. I took the child um, also home that, uh, that was uh, the targeted child. And I tried to stay in touch with this mother through birthday presents, bringing her meals, uh, just staying in contact so I could come to the house mm-hmm. and uh, with a, a real reason, you know, to come by and not just checking on her, but to also check to see how everybody was doing. And after a while, I, I just didn't see this child there anymore. There was mm-hmm. always a reason. She's off playing. She's visiting somebody. She's at a birthday party. So I started calling social services and said, something's wrong. You know, I'm not seeing this child. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I loved all of the people at our local social service. I worked with them for years and we, we had a good relationship, but they were pretty much telling me, you know, you have other children now in your home, other foster children. We're keeping an eye on things there. They're still under our watch and our care. And, um, other words, kind of go take care of your own life right, <laughs> you right. know, nicely. And I, um, I just knew something was wrong and I wasn't alone. There were a few other people I found out later too, that had called. And so after uh, almost a year's time, about nine, 10 months, um, I received a phone call from one of the caseworkers I was very fond of, who was a Christian also, and, mm. and we had talked about the Lord. And she called me after hours, and I, I thought that was surprising. And I said, so what's going on? Do you have a foster you know, child for us? And she said, no. And she said, are you sitting down? And I said, mm. well, no, I'm cooking dinner. She goes, you need to sit down. Turn off your stove and sit down. 
So I thought, well, that's not good. Mm. And I did. And she had told me that, um, that they had found the body of this child. Oh and we were just devastated. We were just devastated. And that was very, very difficult for all of my children, my family. We all gathered in the living room and we were hugging each other. And we literally fell to our knees together in a group mm. on the floor and just sobbed. We were so broken. And um, it was so hurtful as well because this little girl begged us to be their mo- her mommy mm. and daddy. You know, she said, please let me stay. And and we would have. And I've even approached the mother before saying, what if she stays with us a while, you know, till you get your life in order and mom wouldn't have anything to do with mm. that. So it was heartbreaking. But I think what was even more devastating after that, and this is where that forgiveness issue comes mm. in, um, was the next morning, everyone's asleep in my house. They were all exhausted and tired. And my phone rang and I went down to answer it. And it was the local police department uh, the recording from an inmate saying that there's a call coming in, would I accept the charges? And I knew who it was. It was this mother. Mm. And at that moment, I just, this flame went up in me, this, this fire just burned in me. And uh, as much as I want to be a loving Christian woman, if, if this mother had been in front of me, I would have probably done her mm. harm. That's how angry I was. And that's yeah. how much I wanted to hurt her. And so her voice came over the phone and, and I was about to hang up the phone. Mm. I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, if she had called Jesus, would he take her call? Oh, wow. And who am I? I am to be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece for him. So what am I going to do? Wow. And it seemed like forever before I answered, but um, I'm sure it was just about a second. Mm. So I took the call and um, she was asking me if I would come see her. Mm. And I thought, you want me to come see you? Wow. Are you crazy? Uh, you don't want me to come see you. You know, that's yeah. really was how I was feeling. Yeah. And so not only did I told her, I said I would have to see if I could do that. And basically then hung up and told her I'd see. Well, then I had to deal with my family. Yeah. And uh, that was very hard. My children were very angry at yeah. me. And um, my husband, of course, being a Christian, said, when I told him, I really sensed the Holy Spirit said I needed to talk to her. He, he basically left it as, you need to, you answer the call that's on your life. He says, you know, mm. I, don't ask me if you can go because I don't want you to. But if the Lord's calling you to go, you need to go. And that was so difficult. I drove that evening after dinner to the, the jail, which I was very familiar with. Mm. And the gal at the front window, very familiar with. And um, been to the jail for many, many visits for many, many inmates there. But that particular night, I, I had to stop at the side of the road two or three times because I thought I was going to get sick. Wow. And I thought, how do I face this woman? And um, so I finally made it into the jail and then they brought her to me in the visitation room. And because I'm a chaplain, I can have a one-on-one face-to-face mm. in the same room. It's, there's nothing between us, no window between us. And she came into the room and I hugged her because I always hugged her. Mm. <laughs> you know, it seemed more, it seemed less natural to not hug her. So I did hug her and she hugged me back and we just sat there and the Lord gave me a peace through my whole body. Mm. It's like I stopped crying. I wasn't sick to my stomach. I was totally calm. I knew it was him. That wasn't me. Mm. And then I asked her what happened. And that was difficult because 
every every second of it. She told me exactly, painted the whole oh, picture man. of what she had done. So that was very devastating. Ugh. Wow. Deborah, I just I'm kind of without words in just being able to respond to that. I mean, I imagine right now, as you're walking through this, I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old. And so, mm-hmm. of course, I'm sure every listener also that has a child that age puts their child in that place. And we can all feel uh, the same thing that you felt in that moment. We can all feel that anger coursing through us. We can all feel that justice, yeah. the desire for justice coursing through us. And you know, there was something that held you, held that back in order for you to interact with this woman. As you're interacting with her, what what happened, you know, in that particular meeting and maybe in subsequent meetings after that, um, how, how was your response? How did it affect her? Could you discern that? What was the, you know, what was the climate right there as you guys continue to talk about this? It was, it was kind of strange because here she and I obviously knew each other, you know, Mm -hmm. with these children. And now I'm asking her what happened and, and she basically had beat, beaten a child to death mm. and then hid her body in the garage for a year. And so, oh this, you know, it just went on and on from there. Devastating, you know. It, it, it. And I remember her saying, looking at me at one point and said, I'm really in trouble, aren't I? Mm. And I just stared at her like, you're in trouble? You know, you're just thinking you're in trouble because you took the life of your child? And you're just in trouble. I mean, it, I did not see any really remorse. Mm. I didn't sense um, sadness. You know, um, I almost sensed a relief from her uh, as if it was she has hidden this for a year, mm. you know, and trying to live her life. How did she go on in the same house with her children, going to school, coming back and forth and just going on with life, knowing that the body of her child was in her garage? Um, wow. I just thought, how do you do that? And so I said, well, uh, yeah, I think it's more than trouble at this time. And I didn't say too much that evening. When I went to visit with her, it was close to the end of visitation hours. Mm. And um, she asked me if I would come back. And I said, I just had to always say, I will see Mm. if I can come back. I waited a day or two and came back to see her and she was starting to talk to me about how attorney, you know, that attorney would be talking probably to her. Mm. And I said, you know, you just confessed everything to me the other night. I'm sure an attorney is not going to be very happy yeah. with that. So that put me in a really tough position also, even though she, they had a recording of her, but it didn't turn out very well. Yeah. But the thing that was interesting is when I went back to see her the second time, I said, you know, I said, you know, you asked me if you were in trouble. And I said, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be looking at the death penalty, possibly, if not life, you know, in prison or whatever. Yeah. And then she said, there's no forgiveness for this, is there? Mm. And I think one of the hardest truths that I had to tell somebody in my life was that there is forgiveness mm. for even this. Um, I think the human part of me wanted to say no, but I knew the truth. Yeah. And I said, no, I said, through, through Jesus Christ, through salvation, you know, through him, there's even forgiveness for murder. Mm. And 
I realized what God was calling me to do then, and that was to really offer her salvation. And I asked her then, I said, have you ever received the Lord as your Savior? And she said, no. Mm. And I said, is that something you would like to do? And she said, yes. So I prayed with her through the prayer of salvation, and she received Christ. And to be really honest with you, you know, I have led people to the Lord before and prayed with them, and I'm sure you have as well. Mm. And there's this just joy that wells up in you. Yeah. Um, and, and yet there was no joy in mm. me. There was no joy. I felt like I had just done my duty. I had done what God wanted me to do. Yeah. And, and I pretty much left, left there at that point emotionless. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, you know, it's one thing to be able to tell someone else, uh, Hey, you know, Jesus can forgive you for this. I think growing up as a Christian, we learn that, and we know the truth of the knowledge of that nothing is beyond forgivable. It's a whole nother thing to begin to work through that in your own heart. Yes to be able to work through that in your relationship and your interaction with, um, with this, this mom. And I know that that's one of the things you said, God, you felt this stirring that God was calling you to a ministry of forgiveness and redemption, not knowing yes. what that was going to entail. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now you're met with it face to face. Mm -hmm. You're confronted with that calling. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about your journey of trying to sort through what you know you're supposed to do in your heart? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not feeling it at all. You know, when I left the jail that evening and I was driving, driving home, I, I, I felt numb, but I was mm -hmm. playing over in my head that it was the most unusual time I'd ever prayed the prayer of salvation, mm -hmm. you know, prayer. And, and uh, I don't have a standard prayer, you know, I lead someone through. I mean, yeah. it's what's being led at the time. But I thought to myself, um, you know, Lord, I don't understand you sometimes, you know, here you've called me to minister to this mom. And I mean, just, just a day or two after we have found out that she has murdered this little innocent child mm -hmm. that we loved so much and that we wanted to take her into our home and that we would have, we would have adopted her. Um, and so, and I, we had no control. And I think that's where I wrestled with God was through that whole situation that I had no control. Mm -hmm. I had no legal control, no legal authority. And I thought, Lord, why would you have allowed me a situation that's so horrendous and I had absolutely no control in? Then you call me back to this woman who is, you know, murdered mm. her child and lead me, let me lead her to salvation, you know. And I said, I did it out of obedience. And I think that's what I became more aware of is serving God through obedience mm. and him reminding me of Serving me isn't an emotional decision, mm -hmm. you know? It's yeah. not based on your emotions. It's not going to be if you feel like it yeah. or if you're happy at the time, you know, um, that it's really based on obedience. And and I think that's what I, I not really wrestled with as much as became aware of, mm -hmm. of that serving God is really all about obedience. And what can he do with our obedience and that's the, the one thing that I think he really enlightened me about was that out of your obedience, I can part the Red Sea, mm. you know, and um, he said, so watch me. Mm. And so I started keeping my eyes open and really trying to watch what God was going to do with it. Wow. 
What a great, I mean, just a great uh, word picture right there. You know, the Israelites yes. before they, you know, before the Red Sea parted in front of them, mm-hmm. they're feeling every emotion except for triumph sure. and victory. Yes. And wow, look at God yes. moving. They're feeling fear. They're feeling, um, you know, I don't, we, why did we do this? They're questioning God, but mm-hmm. you're right. O- obedient steps then. It's not in those moments that we're necessarily going to feel that experience mm-hmm. of the supernatural rushing in and, and the empowerment necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there are some moments that God goes, I've already empowered you with the words of truth, empowered you with the, the Holy Spirit to do this. Yeah. So step in obedience, even when you don't want to, mm-hmm. even when it doesn't feel good. And even when you don't think that you can and watch me work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, he began to work because you got another phone call. What? few months later or how, yes. what was, well, and so, you know, we, the story is, is that obviously it's horrendous enough of what I've shared with you, yeah. uh, but it just never ended, you know, it kept going. Right. And so not only with a mother calling me and not only leading her to, to salvation, but then when she would be taken back and forth to our state prison and then mm. she'd be back, be brought back locally. So she wanted me to visit her at the state prison as well. And I, I couldn't tell my children when I would go there. I, I wouldn't let my children know any time when I was going. It was really to protect them. But I went to visit her um, at the prison at one point uh, within probably a month after that, three weeks maybe within a month. Mm. And she said, I have a question for you. I, I want to ask something if you would do. And I thought, what could that possibly be? And I said, what is it? And she, when she went to, pr- to prison, she was pregnant with her eighth child, and um, she was five months pregnant. And she said, I want to know if you would take guardianship over this baby when mm. it's born. And I was, I was just um, dumbfounded, I mm. guess is all I could really say. I was like, you want me to do what? You wouldn't, you wouldn't let me take the other one, you know, even guardian, right. temporary guardianship. And now you want me to take this baby. And she said, well, I don't want social services to take the baby. I would probably never see it again. Mm. And she said, but if you would take guardianship. So I left the prison that time just overwhelmed, cried all the way home. It's a two-hour drive, cried all the way home, praying and praying, and thought, you know, Lord, what what are you doing? You know, there's so many times when we just say, what could you possibly be doing with all this, Lord? I went home and talked to my husband about it. And... um, we discuss it. We said, no, you know, we're not going to be guardianship would be raising this child in a sense for her. Mm. Well, she's never going to be out of prison. And we weren't even sure if she was not going to get the death penalty mm-hmm. at the time that hadn't been determined yet. So why would we take guardianship? And my husband, and I both said, if she is, if, if the Lord wants us to have this baby, it would have to be adoption, not mm. guardianship. And, but I really prayed because I was wrestling with that. I was involved with this family. I'm involved with this woman. Um, The situation is in our local community. Would it be wise for us to take this baby? You know, would God have better plans? Should this baby be in another state? Should this baby be with a couple that hasn't been able to have children? Mm -hmm. I have five children. I don't need to adopt a baby. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, these were all of the things we were wrestling with. What would my children, how would they feel? I mean, if we chose to adopt this baby. So, I went back and talked to her another visit, and um, I said that if that's what you would consider adoption, we would we would consider that. Mm. Well, 
as time went on and we discussed it with our children and my husband and I prayed about it, we all agreed that if the Lord opened that door and that's the direction that it would take, that we would, we would adopt this baby. And if not, and he closed that door and someone else did, we would accept that from the Lord. Um, But the thing that was then became challenging for me was social services then said they were going to fight me on getting this baby. Wow. So we had another situation and now I have foster children in my home. I'd been a foster parent almost 18 years and now I'm going to have to go to court and fight social services. What was the reason for them fighting you on that? Was it because of the situation of this woman being in prison or what? Well, first of all, social services pretty much had to close their doors for quite a while because they were now under scrutiny and they had a lawsuit being brought against them. You Mm -hmm. can imagine because of failure to, um, no, even know that this child was missing mm-hmm. for almost a year. Um, and so I believe I, I did get an attorney that was uh, the woman that's in prison, her attorney. I said, let's use the same one because mm-hmm. I did not want any hiccups in the end. I didn't want any battles. It, we're either going to all be in agreement and we're going to use one attorney or we're not going to do this. So that one attorney was, went to court with me when the baby was born. I was at the birth of the, the baby and... Um, and which was guarded, you know, mm-hmm. because of the, the crime. So I had uh, authority from my lieutenant at the jail that I could be there as, as because I was chaplain as mm-hmm. well. And then the ne- very next day I had to go to court. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time in almost 18 years I was sitting on the opposite side of social services. And I, and I asked the attorney, I said, why would they do this? Well, while we were in court at that hearing, the attorney for social services um, had to answer the question to the judge mm-hmm. because the judge said, why are you fighting this family? They've got a, a good uh, reputation in town. I, I, I know that they uh, have been foster parents for years. Why would you not want this child to go to them? And they were saying, well, we're, we're afraid that she might, you know, we know she visits the mother mm. and at prison and we're afraid that she might put the baby in harm's way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was really kind of a silly reason because first of all, Children and babies go to prison all the time to visit yeah, parents, yeah. number one. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that was more of them needing to save face. Mm. I think they, they lost control and they needed to have some sort of control. Yeah. And so I had another issue of forgiveness there I had to deal with. Wow. I had to look at them across there and look at those caseworkers and say, I love these people. They, they, and it's not their decision. You know, they're now involved with a, law case, a lawsuit. Mm. So I had to... Um, go to court and fight for the baby and the judge uh, awarded her to us. Wow. What, what did you do in your own, in your own heart as you're processing through people not understanding this? You know, at first your family didn't, you know, the very, the very mm-hmm. first night your family's mm-hmm. like, no, you're not going to go yeah. visit. You know, it sounds like they kind of, you begin to bring them along in the process. You know, obviously it sounds like your the culture of your family, all of them are submitted to the Lord as well. And they begin to adopt the same mentality of, you know, not just forgiveness, but also serving this mm-hmm. mom. Cause that's what we're talking about right here. I mean, this is like, not just forgiveness, this is above and beyond serving this mom sure. and serving this family in this way. You know, it really mm-hmm. reminds me of Jesus saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute yes. you, not just like avoid your enemies and don't be mad at them. <laughs> you know, yes. it's, yes. it's like above and beyond, you know, love them and serve them mm-hmm. and give them a cup of water when they're thirsty and give them something to eat when they're hungry. That's what you guys were doing. But there were people who were looking on that I'm sure did not understand how did you process that yourself 
And how did, you know, how did you, did you make it a point to try to bring people along in the process to try to justify what was going on? Or did you just kind of put your head down and go? I, I believe I learned early on that I really couldn't convince too many people, you know, and, and I think that the thing that was challenging for me was people in the community that were professing Christians that I knew, mm. you know, um, some really were upset with me uh, because they said I was, uh, it, it, I, the, 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 first of all, this mother did not deserve, you know, to, uh, for me to be visiting her mm. or for me to show any compassion or, or care to her. A um, number of people argued the fact that, that this baby should probably be adopted out of state as far away from the situation, mm-hmm. the scenario as possible. There were times I went into my jail uh, to visit to visit this woman when she came to um, town, you know, for mm-hmm. hearings and, and to deal with her attorneys. And one one evening, I had an officer leave me in the visitation room for two hours mm-hmm. uh, alone. He said, "I'll come back and get you after I bring her back." And I just knew it was because he was angry that I visited her. And wow. he just said he got busy. And so there were many times like this where I learned, you know, I had to say to myself, I am alone in this. Mm. I, I couldn't really discuss it with my husband because he was still hurting. I couldn't discuss it with my children. I really couldn't discuss it with too many of my friends here locally. I have two amazing godly Christian friends that were out of state. I could call, I could cry to, and I could talk to them. And they they were supportive, but they were protective over me. And so I... I think that part of even writing this book was almost my uh, two of my family members read read the manuscript. Two of my daughters, mm. and they said there were things in there they never knew. Mm. They never knew I went through. Never knew I felt. Never knew any of it because um, I didn't share it with anybody. Yeah. And I part of it I didn't share it because I didn't know how to explain it. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, how do I explain it to them? But God's calling me to do this, and and I, I'm. And I need to be obedient to him. And he has a plan and a purpose in this. And especially when there's so much hurt and pain with mm. other people. And it was, this was the, the talk of my whole community. Right. We had a whole community angry and um, police angry. You know, you can imagine the police that found this body right. and um, the coroner and all, all of these different people that were involved. Mm. I just realized I needed to stay, you know, totally uh, isolated in this. Mm. Um, and, and, and yet as the years went on, even though others, I would drive to the prison back and forth, even after she was sentenced, the mother was sentenced, cry all the time, still didn't communicate with anybody about what went on and in there. But I began to start seeing as, as Jesus said to us, I will make you a new creature Mm. in Christ. And I began to see over the years, this woman changing and so it was difficult because I'm watching her change in Christ, but the rest of the world was living in the past, yeah. you know, when this all happened. They weren't hopeful. Many of them didn't care. They didn't want to see her being mm-hmm. a new creature in mm-hmm. Christ. They, and I think that's what people struggle with is somebody that does something so horrible right. that you think, but they don't deserve to be a new creature in Christ. Right. And that's what we wrestle with. You know, not just that they, that they are, they're not, but... They don't even deserve it. They don't need to. They don't need to be free in Christ. Yeah. Look what they did, and that's very hard to explain to other people. Yeah, it's it's so hard to explain, and yet it's it's fascinating to me too, in the sense that the the Christians in your community, the people who, or at least claim to be Christians, who live and operate by kingdom principles, 
the first of which is forgiveness, right? That we're a conduit of forgiveness. I know that that is truth that we know, but it is so difficult to embrace that truth when there's something that, that is this horrific that happens for whatever reason, we all, no matter what, no matter how redeemed quote unquote we are, we Mm -hmm. all get this sense where we go, okay, that person doesn't deserve it. Right. Okay. Okay. That person doesn't, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you ask yourself, well, what's on the spectrum of wrongful deeds? Where's the line? Where's the threshold? What deserves forgiveness and what doesn't? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, I I see according to scripture, none of this deserves forgiveness. Mm -hmm. None of us do. Mm -mm. And yet, God, through the person of Jesus Christ, granted it to us, offered it to us, extended it to us. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I, I find just, I kind of, I resonate with you, Deborah, on that, that, you know, when, when everything happened with us, I, uh, I, I remember feeling like there is, I've been preaching sermons for several years about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And all I knew to go on was, these little small trite things that I had gone through in my life where it was like, and then this is what scripture says. And I'm sure that you don't, I'm sure that you've gone through something difficult friends. And you might be looking at me going, Dave, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. But at the end of the day, God calls us to forgive. Well, then, then then this tragedy hit my life and I'm standing in front of national television. And I remember thinking, is this just something I'm preaching or is this something I'm living? And you're Mm -hmm. face to face with that. Right. Confronted with that reality. Um, and so I, I, and then I felt like there was not a lot of people that understood, even Christians that understood. True. You know, you feel like That's you're right. going to have at least a, a group of people who are like, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I got you. I understand. I, oh, man, awesome. And, and then you find yourself disappointed that like, wow, we really don't get this. We don't understand mm-hmm. this idea of forgiveness. Um, now, now though, as you are, um, you know, in, in the story, you're wrestling with this lawsuit and you're trying to figure this whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, are there some things in the midst of all of that, specifically on forgiveness, the topic of forgiveness that God was teaching you? The topic of, um, you know, releasing that bitterness. Do you remember wrestling mm-hmm. through that? Are there specific yes. things that God was like, hey, this, 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 that you can help our listeners with? Yes. Well, he took me through a number of different things in it was again over a process, mm-hmm. you know, and as you say, we, you know, we, we try to measure sin, you know, mm-hmm. well, this is really, really, really bad. And this isn't quite as bad. So it's easier to be forgiven. And, and yet the, the, the process I went through was um, when we were transferred during that time to Arizona and I uh, went to work for the sheriff's department mm. and I think God taught me a lot in, in when I worked there. I was an officer in the sheriff's department and worked in a, one of the toughest jail systems in our country. So I went from women's ministry to being mm. an officer and uh, wearing army boots and a badge. <laughs> and, uh, I, it was I loved it. I probably grew more as a Christian in that setting than anything. But there were a couple of situations in that jail and with some of the women in there uh, that and their crimes that God taught me about myself. Mm. And about forgiveness and redemption. And one of the situations was um, that there was, there's a pod there of women that were isolated and they are classified that way because they were, they abused their children Mm. one way or another. And I saw other officers um, 
shun them. Mm-hmm. And of course, other inmates would shun them. And they were sort of the, the leper colony. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You didn't go there. You didn't talk to them. You did a security walk. You fed them. And you just didn't have anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. And as I was walking through that particular pod one day doing a security walk, and whenever an officer would do that, most of those women would get very quiet. They would just stand still and be quiet. And they wouldn't st- start talking again mm-hmm. until the officer left. And as I was walking through, I felt the Lord saying to me, um, you know, we stand in judgment of these women, but do you think maybe they need to know me? Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe they need to know Jesus and they need to know that there is forgiveness for their, their sin? And here as an officer, we can read the, the list of charges against them and we can be shocked. And, and sometimes I was. And yet... What about my list? What about mm-hmm. the charges against me? What about the things in my life? Are are they really, is sin sin? Mm-hmm. Is all sin really separation from God? Mm-hmm. Or is it just a little separation and a lot of separation? And God just really did a work in me and he showed me. And he said another time when, uh, back, back up, backing up to just when I went to the funeral of this child that died, um, as I was, going, you know, to, to that, uh, the Lord showed me there, there's an abortion in my past, in my life when I was 17. Mm. And this was way back in a dime before it was even, they were legal. Mm-hmm. So, um, you'd never discussed this and we knew nothing about the development of a, an unborn baby really at the time. But I looked back at that and I thought, then why, you know, if God forgave me for that, mm-hmm. and I believe he did, um, I took a life of my child. If he would forgive me for that, taking the life of my child, mm. would he forgive her, this mother taking the life of her child? And if he's called me to forgive whomever he is choosing to forgive, then what right do I have to withhold forgiveness from wow. anybody for anything? And so it was these kind of processes through my yeah. life. There was nothing overnight. There was not one, just one situation or circumstance. But these are just two different things that yeah. he he showed me as far as with forgiveness. And that forgiveness means when we can forgive, we have freedom in Christ. Yeah. Um, we have we're not carrying baggage. We're not judging others because we have no right to be able to do that. And so I wanted to walk free. I just yeah. wanted to walk free and I wanted to walk free in Christ. And I knew that if I could choose to forgive and I could forgive others and ask their forgiveness, then he would use me. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be used by Christ. So wow. that's, um, those are just some of the steps wow. that he took me through. That's powerful. So, um, what's become of it? Um, did you guys, did you get awarded the guardianship or were you able to adopt this child or, and what's your relationship with like, you know, what's it like now with the, with the mother kind of bring me up to speed to current day now? We were able to adopt the child and, um, She's almost 21 years old today. Oh She's our gosh. youngest daughter. Wow. She is amazing. Uh, she has uh, she has just been a blessing to our lives. And th- through the years, when she was about 13, she never really asked about birth mother, her adoption, mm. much of anything. I always said, when you're ready and you want to know, I will always tell you the truth. Mm. But she ran into some uh, biological siblings in our community. Oh, wow. And they all kind of figured things out as teenagers, kind of who they were. So, of course, she came home after that and said, I want to know. And after I told her the story, 
um, she asked me where two of the siblings were. And I said, well, two have died because I told mm-hmm. her that um, how many siblings there were, biological siblings, and the two had died. And one died in a motorcycle accident after, mm-hmm. when he was older. And then I said, and, and one little girl died at five years old. And of course, she asked me how. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell her. And then she figured, oh, my gosh, that that her mother then was my biological mother. You know, wow. is what she figured out. So we cried together. We talked. And then she asked me if she could meet her mother, mm. her birth mom. So I arranged, and the two of us went to the prison and met her mother. Um, the thing was that was so awesome about that was that I just really wept about was I know that this mother repented, and I saw her grow in Christ, mm. and I saw a completely different person in her. And I felt that God was blessing her. She'll never be out of prison. Mm-hmm. But was blessing her with being able to see at least one of her biological children um, who mm. came to see her. So, wow. you know, we are now, uh, we are moving on and um, my daughter's just awesome and she is amazing. She doesn't really want a relationship. You know, mm. she doesn't want to go back or write, which is fine. Mm. But I go back often. I go back and visit maybe four times a year to the prison. Mm. And, um, and then her, her mother and I write and she can mm. call me on occasions and we talk and it's been wonderful because we will share scripture. We will pray together. We always pray together. We talk about the Lord and, you know, one of my main life scriptures is John sixteen thirty three, And where the Lord just says, mm. you will have many trials and tribulations in this life, yeah. but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And as much as I love that scripture before, he shows me more and more mm. what that means. And when we, he, we let him overcome these horrible things in the world when we choose forgiveness and we allow him to redeem us. And when we walk in obedience, Wow, that's what it's about. It's so great. So great. Deborah, this has been an incredible conversation. I mean, I'm absolutely in awe. I'm very inspired. I know the listener is as well. Um, Thank you for stewarding all of this that the Lord has brought your way. And um, I want to make sure the listener is able to, we're going to, uh, the, the book is called Murder, Motherhood, and Miraculous Grace. Yes. I'm going to encourage everybody to pick this up because uh, I'm sure there's so many other layers of story within this. There are. <laughs> that <laughs> just um, absolutely, absolutely awe-inspiring. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for spending some time with us and sharing your story and sharing all the wonderful things that God is doing out of it, even in the most horrific and heinous things that can befall mm-hmm. our lives. So thank you for providing that encouragement to us. Thank you. Right now, what we're going to do is I want to make sure before we sign off that, I, that we pray for the Murky family and we pray for Kenzie. And so if you're listening to this in the car, um, you know, just posture your heart. If you're listening to this while you're, you know, while you're taking a walk or whatever you're doing, would you just stop? And we just want to pray for the Murky family, pray for Kenzie. Um, so Lord, we just, we just come before you right now. We're absolutely heartbroken. We have no idea. We have no answers for why things like this happen, especially to a young child. But God, we know that you are in control. We know that even right now you can, you can heal in an instant. God, you are capable of that that you are powerful, that you reached your hand out and caused cancer and, a, and various numbers of diseases to shrivel up inside of bodies. While you were here walking the earth, you still perform miracles today. So God, we, we ask you, we beg you that you would do that. God, that you would just heal in a miraculous way. And God, um, we submit all of this underneath your will. And, and we ask that no matter what happens, 
first of all, we choose to say that you are God and you are good. And we ask that you would just be with the murky family, that you would undergird them, that you would, you would hold them that you would um, provide with your grace this this hammock that carries them and sees them through um, yet another trial. God, you've been so faithful in their life. And, and as they've stepped out in obedience, you've continued to prove yourself faithful and show that you are good in the midst of all this. And you bring about redemptive purposes in all of these things. And so, God, I pray that you would you would continue to encourage them with that truth and that you would, we know you're already working a plan of redemption in this whole thing. And so we trust you with that. We ask for grace. We ask for, for, for mercy. We ask for encouragement. We ask for strength. We ask for hope. We ask for courage for this family. And um, with all of these hearts that are listening to this and, and, and gathering in unison around this family, we lift them up and we commit them to you. And uh, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Davey, could you imagine 140 children in your home? (laughs) Never, not even for like a one-off event. (laughs) I know, right? Extra from two. Now we're at three and this is a struggle. Three's kind of, yeah, done us in for a little while. (laughs) Man, I I just was amazed. I think because um, foster care is on Charlie and I's heart and it's um, something we feel like the Lord is um, starting to call us to that Mm -hmm. this gave me, I had even more emotions and feelings about this episode than I was prepared for. Yeah. I bet. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, you guys need to know as, as the listener of this podcast and, you know, one of the things that we, uh, regretfully and yet at the same time excitedly are announcing is that, um, Mel's last episode of being the co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is going to be on January 30th. And part of it is because um, of some of the opportunities that God is calling you guys into in terms of foster care and some other ministry opportunities that God is asking you to step into. And we'll talk more about that as we get closer to that, that episode and let you share from your heart on those things. But I can only imagine, you know, even listening to this, Mel, this interview with Deborah, how much it was uh, uh, maybe a confirmation in your heart to yeah. say, wow, this is what God is calling us into, this ministry that that He has for us. I think it was really good too, because she kind of, um, you can kind of get, I am excited about what the Lord is calling us to, but at the same time, there's these rose-colored glasses or lens (laughs) that I'm looking through, and I feel like she really stripped that away for me um, (laughs) and gave me a sober idea of what foster care can really lead to. But um, one of the beautiful things that I think that Deborah brought up um, that I think is so good for us and our listeners to think about is um, at the beginning of the episode, she talks about how when she first came to Christ, that um, that the Lord really called her to forgive, like mm-hmm. um, to forgive people in her past, teaching her children how to offer forgiveness. And, and little did she know that the Lord was weaving in her story um, this situation that would have to be one of the biggest forgiveness um, offering forgiveness to someone who right. did something terrible to the little girl that she fostered. And um, it got me thinking, what are the themes in my own life? What are some of these sovereign foundations that the Lord has put in my life um, that I need to like think through and figure out that will prepare me for the future? Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I think 
I think you're, you're right on in that if we can pick up on those things now and like whatever lesson God has us in right now, and we can lean into that more, we'll, we'll be able to squeeze out every ounce of that lesson that God is teaching us that will better prepare us for whatever it is that he's writing in our redemption story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as you begin to learn the the sovereignty of God, you can begin to, to know, wait, man, God, God's preparing me for X season or he's preparing me for, you know, Y season because of the thing he's teaching me right now. You can almost like anticipate it. Yeah. You're like, oh, even if it's a scary thing, you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that season, but I feel like God's pressing something really deeply into my heart right now. Um, I just love how like there were years of her practicing obedience mm. to the Lord. Like forgiveness is going to be a theme of your life. And um, and really, if you know that hadn't been a theme of her life, I'm sure that when she met that mother in the jail, forgiveness would have felt have been probably daunting, impossible. too daunting, yeah. impossible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's exactly. It's almost like I mean, even just to use a sports metaphor. You know, the more you practice, the more it just becomes muscle memory when you're called to go out on the field. And so the same thing is true in our lives spiritually, that we practice these things. We practice these uh, character traits, uh, callings of obedience, and fruits of the Spirit. And so when we get into a difficult circumstance, it becomes just muscle memory. Why? Because we've been practicing it over and over and over in the small ways. Then we're ready for it when the big time comes. Yeah. So as you're meeting with God this week, maybe um, you're journaling or praying, um, ask Him to um, pinpoint what that is in your life. And as always, we want to thank Sleeping at Last. Sleeping at Last is one of our favorite artists, isn't he, babe? Oh, I love him. We yes. love Sleeping Every time I listen to Sleeping at Last, it reminds me of um, of us dating, babe. I know. So make sure you go. If you want to get in your feels, go listen to Sleeping at Last <laughs> anywhere where music can be downloaded and streamed. And uh, before we sign off, I want to make sure that you have a little clip from next week's episode with Karen Millsap. So take a listen to this. Then there was this day where uh, it was a normal Monday. It was in August. So about six months after Richard opened up the CrossFit. And at the time I was doing interviews for an executive position. So I text him and I said, Hey, you know, I have to do three interviews tonight from home. Do you want me to come pick up the kids or do you want them to stay at the gym with you? And so he texted me back and he said, well, you can come get them. You know, they miss you and they can mm. spend some time. So I said, okay, no problem. So I ended up uh, dropping my stepdaughter off over at her mom's house and he was going to pick her up on the way home after his last class. I rushed home, got my son settled. Again, he was two and a half at the time. So I uh, got him settled and hopped on the first interview. Mm. And so as I'm on the first, first interview, um, I'm going through just the standard questions and I'm using my house phone, but I noticed that my cell phone starts buzzing. But after a few minutes, it had been going off. And, and so I thought to myself, well, whoever this is really needs something. Let me just look. And as I pick up the phone to look, I see that the call stopped and I could see that I had over 10 missed calls from the same person. Oh, wow. Now, this person was one of our gym members. So the first thing that I thought to myself was, oh, Richard must have hurt himself. He must have fallen off the rig and broke his arm. Yeah. I mean, you know how you can get a million thoughts that just rush through your brain mm -hmm. in, in an instant. So as these thoughts are uh, going through my mind, she's calling again. And I had just asked the candidate a question. So I put him on mute while he was answering. 
And when I answered her call, all I heard was screaming and um, complete chaos. And I remember not being able to understand anything she was saying until I could make out one word and that was shot. 